0: To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. Welcome to the
1: New Books Network. Hello, this is Eric Lemay, a host on the New Books Network. Today, I interview Susan Stryker and Dylan McCarthy Blackston about the Transgender Studies Reader Remix. This is a book that's as big as it is rich it brings together 50 previously published articles that track both the history and the current directions in the interdisciplinary field of transgender studies. The reader shows the conversations taking place not only within transgender studies, but also between transgender studies and such fields as feminist theory, queer theory, black studies, history, biopolitics, and the post-humanities. In our conversation, editors Stryker and Blaxton give us a sense of this range and also the crucial issues that inform the creation of the reader itself and the importance of transgender studies as a field. Blaxton is an assistant professor of gender, women's, and sexuality studies in the Department of Interdisciplinary Studies at Appalachia State University. Stryker is Professor Emerita of Gender and Women's Studies at the University of Arizona, founding co editor of TSQ, Transgender Studies Quarterly, founding co editor of Duke University Press's Asterisk Book series, and co editor of Rutledge's two previous Transgender Studies readers. And here is our conversation Dylan McCarthy Blackstone and Susan Stryker, welcome to the New Books Network. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. I'm very glad you're here. And you all have put together the third edition of the Transgender Studies Reader, which is now, I think, the Remix Reader, um, which is a considerable physical object. I have it right here in front of me. Um, And last night I was reading from it, and my seven-year-old came in, and wanted to, you know, snuck out of bed and and came into where I was reading uh, and wanted to see it, and I handed it over, and uh, he he sort of, like, felt the weight of it, and it brought him down about a half a foot, and then he was able to, to pick it back up. And so it's, it's just this tremendous collection. And I'm wondering, as we start off, uh, maybe, Dylan, you could start us off to tell us just about the nature of this book, and and what purpose you see it serving it's a big question to start off with but i'm i'm aware that some of our readers won't even be familiar with the the field of transgender studies and here's something like a, i think a well is monument the right term is is living collection is you know what what would be the way to 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 take us into this book
2: yeah, thanks for the question. And I, I uh, have an eight-year-old who has, has a copy of their very own. So but uh, <laughs> similarly similarly impressed by the size when I got my copies in the mail. Um, I would say, you know, this this text started out, you know, Susan had been in contact with um, an editor at Rutledge um, and started out, the idea was sort of a greatest hit um, from the first two volumes. So this is actually... The sort of second edition, um, the first volume of the second edition, um, and the sort of two-volume first edition um, that you know, respectively came out in 2006 and 2013, um, were kind of served very different purposes and as does this one. I think the, the original plan for this was this Greatest Hits idea. And then as we started kind of working on it, and Greatest Hits meaning, let's pull from the first and second volume, let's think about the kind of most cited or um, most formative or best connected um, essays from those two volumes and, and make this remix version. And then as we started working on it, we were like, you know, but what about this newer essay? Or what about this essay that was cited in so many of these pieces that haven't been in those first two that, that, that just aren't present in those first two volumes? And so we kind of got this idea that, you know, let's think of this more as a textbook collection. You know, Uh, the first volume, you know, did a lot of historical work. And of course, Susan's been a a co-editor on all three of these. And so I I should let her speak more to the kind of uh, trajectory of how those came about as, as, as it feels like it, it needs to, to be discussed. But um, you know, that was sort of a, a, the first one was sort of a, a way of thinking about like, what is the history? How do we get to where we are now? How has this field evolved in the past 15, 20 years at that point in 2006? But also what are these, some of these historical, uh, sexological texts and, uh, anti-trans texts, quite frankly, that need to be included to situate us. The second one is sort of looking at what in the past, you know seven eight years what are the new what is the timestamp document of the most emergent the current work in trans studies um that's coming out right now and with this third one it was sort of like all right how do we we can't it, our greatest hits just might not work in the same way um maybe instead we can think about pulling some of the most cited um essays from those first two volumes but also thinking about where's the field at now So pulling in some new essays as well, but also some work and, you know, that would help to contextualize a lot of this, right? A lot of the newer work and a lot of the older stuff as well, right? Like um, some of the recent scholarship in the field, we realized, hey, we need to include some touchstone essays from adjacent fields, right? Like Black feminist studies, Indigenous studies, post-colonial studies, Chicana feminism. Um, Because while those aren't trans studies essays, they're crucially foundation, foundational to some of the work emerging in trans studies today. And so that was kind of how this remix idea took shape, is what are some of the currents, um, the histories, the, the the movements that are shaping the field right now, uh, and how are they dependent on but also kind of emerged from both trans studies and adjacent fields? Mm, that's very helpful.
3: Yeah, so uh, Dylan, that was a great uh, s- summary. It's like I second everything that you that you said, and yeah. So just to follow up on your in- invitation to talk some about the previous two volumes, the the first one, as you mentioned, came out in two thousand six. I co-edited that with my um, colleague in the UK, uh, Stephen Whittle, and a lot of that work was was really taking into consideration the way that trans studies was imagining itself kind of at the moment of its emergence in the academy in the early 1990s and you know i find it really ironic today that if you listen to a lot of the right wing you know anti trans stuff that's going on in the public sphere People want to talk about is it. like oh like trans nobody's ever heard of this before it's never happened uh, and so right now it's like it's just a bunch of liberal snowflake kids listening to their woke professors at you know elite colleges on the coast and they're just totally making this up but the emperor has no clothes and you know what what I mean it's just that's just completely wrong it's it, it's ignorant it's it's somewhere between ignorant and deliberately misinforming because. Part of what I've documented in this work is how, for about thirty years at this point, in universities, it's like there has been a really well, you know, articulated field of transgender studies that studies how in society, you know, gender has been variable. It's like it's a thing you can know about it, and that there there has been for about thirty years. Trans people themselves who are talking about their own experience, bringing their personal knowledge to bear on uh, academic debates. It's like people who are formally trained in different disciplines, whether that's you know literary studies or social sciences or policy or 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 what have you. Uh, who are are bringing a trans perspective to bear on social understandings of trans issues, and that's really what that first volume of the Trans Studies Reader tried to, tried to document. You know, like this is the conversation that was going on as the field is emerging and taking shape. But it it was such a rapidly evolving mm-hmm. field, you know, that the the debates <clears throat> that were coming out in the nineteen nineties by the aughts. Uh, they seemed kind of old school. Uh, there was a second generation of scholarship that had come out in the field and that's what my colleague Aaron Azura and I uh, tried to tried to document um, and kind of like at the in some ways excuse me you know kind of what to me now looks in retrospect like sort of the the peak of um, trans activism. In the you know the in the the teens and the early teens just just before this current wave of um, anti-trans legislation and rhetoric really starts taking off so we were documenting that moment in the intellectual history of thinking about trans issues and then now um, Dylan and I have done the third volume as as he was suggesting. Uh, which is not so much a third volume as it is a revisiting of the previous two and mixing um, additional content in, some new, some some old, to give a snapshot of where the field is now. And I, I think what's changed the, the most is that I think the more we have studied kind of what's at stake in trans issues, the clearer it becomes, at least to me, that what's at stake is a much deeper cultural um, idea, ideology, call it what you will, about how it is that we understand the basis for assigning people to personhood categories. Like what are the rules that like make a man a man and a woman a woman? Um, and that, that those usually... Uh, unarticulated, unvoiced assumptions have a lot to do with a belief that says that um, the biological specificity of our bodies, you know, like what your reproductive capacity is and and whatnot, is something that, that kind of binds you permanently into an unalterable social category it's like that there is there is a rule about using biology to assign people to personhood categories and if you look historically that idea that way of thinking about the rules for like what kind of person a person can be is uh, they're not universal across human cultures they're not universal across human history and that they really, gain um, power in the early modern period, and it's totally related to the development of chattel slavery, to the expansion of a European world system, to practices of, of colonization, to the extension of capitalist market relations around the world, and that there's a particular ideology that uses biology to bind people into presumably unfixed social categories, that that is the problem of trans life. It's like that there are people who just don't feel for whatever reason. And we can argue about ideology. uh, We can argue about why, but the simple fact of the matter is, is that there are people who just develop a different sense of gendered self, than most other people do. And that the reason that is a problem is because it contradicts this biologistic ideology that is in fact one of the legacies of the modern European world system. So it totally makes sense to bring together trans issues with questions of settlement, colonization, global capital, um, anti-blackness, histories of, of slavery and enslavement it's all part of one great big hairball that we call the modern world <laughs> thank you for that final metaphor um,
1: thank and thank you for that that answer Susan that's tremendously helpful and and I think gives us the the long arc of history into which these readers have intervened um, I I am curious I think I myself am am closer to Susan's age than Dylan's age. And so I'm wondering for you, Dylan, as you entered the academy, did you find transgender studies already existed and you had a a field of knowledge in which to engage that had already been established? I'm just curious what that experience might have been like as opposed to what Susan was talking about in which... She was engaged literally in, in founding and documenting a field of knowledge and giving it a space in the academy. Um, one of the things we talked about exploring in this interview was the, the generational difference. And that would strike me as one founding a knowledge, founding a discipline, um, versus having a discipline there on which you might build.
2: Yeah, I think um, there's something about you know Susan and uh, colleagues of that era wrote really kind of a um, created kind of a blueprint, and then we're we're adding to the house. You know, we're sort of um, here's the here's the extra bathroom. Here's how we can understand this. But you know, when I came into so my undergrad was in the very in 2001 when I started uh, my undergrad, and so I think there was. There was certainly a a nascent field of trans studies. Um, You know, there had been work, including Susan's obviously published in the nineties. But in terms of stuff I was reading as part of my classwork, um, you know, not so much, right. That wasn't a part of even my kind of women's studies uh, um, classes and the coursework and that sort of thing at that moment. Um, that being said, there was significant emergent activism that I was aware of and deeply involved in um, and coming into kind of my own as a trans person in that period um, and writing poetry and traveling and uh, performing and um, being a part of anti-war efforts. And, you know, that was my first month of college was uh, the the nine eleven attacks, you know, so so it's sort of, this was all This was all sort of part of my uh, foundations um, was um, trans activism and, and coming into my own as like a trans person, right? Um, when I went back to graduate school years later, I mean, absolutely, I, you know, in part went to study with Susan, right? So I was very aware at that point that there was a, a field of trans studies and really, really wanted to be uh, a part of it and trying to figure out kind of what is the utility not only of thinking about um, trans activism as a mode of survival and trans embodiment as the only way I know how to be, but uh, as trans studies or trans as a kind of theoretical, you know, analytic, as a how can we utilize this to kind of curb some of this anti trans violence that was emerging at this moment? How can we think together to imagine other worlds? How can we make space? Um, and that emerges certainly from the blueprint that was already laid out, right. In Susan's kind of uh, foundational essay, my words to Victor Frankenstein, it's like, you know, um, we're building from this blueprint of trying to sort of claim a space from which to speak in a, in a hierarchy that Susan already mentioned, this bio biologistic biologistic kind of hierarchization of, of bodies in relation to um, whether one is deemed a human or not, whether one is deemed a person or not um, those kinds of uh you know claiming a space where there isn't one um but also now sort of being targeted for the space that we have claimed right and so coming into the field um with that notion of trying to think um in a through an intellectual frame but also at the same time through an embodied and activist frame about how we can sort of um not just sort of build but also um Morph and address the emergent emergent political issues that are now kind of really shaping how we're all able to live or not, uh, how we're able to access healthcare or not. Those sorts of you know very very embodied concerns for many of us right now um, that are coming to the fore, kind of along with our uh, emergent scholarship.
1: Yeah, I think this would be a, a good moment to address the larger political context in which we're doing this interview, which is this year alone we're at something like 400 anti-trans bills with a a calculated attack to try to erase trans existence. Um, And this this is very visible in the public sphere right now. What does it look like from your perspectives as people who have been uh, immersed in transgender studies um, for decades? And I guess I, I could ask this a little bit differently, which is that, that Dylan helpfully brought up um, trans as an analytic, as a way of seeing, as a critical methodology. And so I'm wondering what what you two As experts in that methodology, in that analytic, might be seeing that those of us that that have not developed that background might not be seeing?
3: Yeah, well, well, you know, that's a great question. That is the question of the day, I think. And that I just want to, you know, talk a little bit of smack and say that, you know, I think that you look at things that are happening like in Florida or Texas, you know, plenty of other states but with the literal criminalization of asking certain questions or saying certain things. It's like the the idea that it is a thought crime in Florida to like say gay or to like bring up questions of uh, the, the continuing consequences of the legacy of the U.S. being a slaving nation, you know, as if that's all in the past and there's like no, you know, historical fallout from that. It's like the idea that it has become criminal to like talk about the relationship between gender and sexuality and histories of race. What that tells me is that they can't argue with us, so they just have to try to shut down the conversation. It's like they don't have an answer for what we point to and the kind of work that we do. And because the implications for the kind of work that we do is basically it points in the direction of a kind of social justice achievable in the future that requires us to dislodge ourselves from the pernicious consequences of and I, I think it was like turning all of our bodies into skin prisons that are supposed to bind us into a social order that is imagined to be immutable and unchangeable. And that if there's something that it's unjust about it, we just have to like suck it up and learn to live with it. It's like I see transness as this practice of saying... Now I know what my biology is or what it has been, and I know what's changeable and what's not. But what I'm really saying here is that our bodies don't have to mean what history or the past or others have told us that it means. It's like that basically that we as living human beings can decide among ourselves. It's like how we want to treat other people what parts of them we recognize what parts of themselves we allow them to express and that there is there there that's a that's a practice of freedom that's a practice of saying that together socially we can in fact forge a new a new social order one that's not predicated on like m- making attributes of your body like this thing that binds you to an unjust hierarchy, whether that's the subordination of female people, you know, to to men because of their reproductive capacities or the subordination of people of color to white people because of histories of racism. It's like to, to say that you can change the meaning of your body. It's like, that's powerful. It's threatening to the way the world is currently organized. And that is precisely why the reactionaries, um, you know, are are basically trying to criminalize our existence. It's like because they think we should not exist, they're saying we will not exist. It's like this is just like it is a profoundly deep struggle about the nature of how power is organized in our society. It is not, uh, you know, a minor little you know, niche issue for some like small minority of people that, you know, we need to be concerned about trans, trans rights and trans issues. You know, this is, this is something that is absolutely central to contesting the injustices and in the way that power is currently organized in our society.
0: <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At sax.com it's easy to find your new vibe, What do I even say other than, hey, (sighs) well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to download the new Bumble now.
1: Dylan, I I would love to hear your response to that. I'm, I'm so appreciative of it. And I would love to hear what you have to say.
2: You know, I think Susan's right. It's sort of like thinking about should what she said change the meaning of your body, right? And it's like that's another way that I think this remix, the kind of work that we're trying to do here is think about these kinds of uh, ways that uh, all of this political targeting right now, but also um, the kinds of work we're doing in trans studies is about changing the meaning of our body from these kinds of... uh, Euro uh, world system attitude, um, <laughs> kinds of hierarchizations that have been that have been put upon us that have uh, that have you know enforced boundaries on what we can and can't do what have that have uh, said you know what's mutable and what's not and I think Susan's right it's it's not about now just sort of uh, it's a it's you know about arguing about the terms because we know that that's not really possible right like we we can kind of win that argument, right? So it's about preventing preventing language for preventing speech altogether. Um, and I think of the, the Don't Say Gay Bill in particular. But changing the meaning of your body draws upon those connections that, um, you know, uh, it, how, you know, uh, we can think about, um, you know, struggles against anti-Blackness and racism on um, the legacies of slavery or changing the meaning of what it means to be a human and a person right that is uh, um, to survive and I think uh, right now we're uh, at this this critical juncture where our our survival is not only sort of predicated on this kind of coming together and building those suspension bridges across field and across you know kind of movement but also um, maintaining access to just the very basics of healthcare um, of of for a right to, to, to say what you are, to, to, to identify yourself. Right. Um, and I think that's a very new, um, gosh, it's, it was so empowering, um, 20 years ago to find this language of transgender and to think that that's not even, uh, you know, uh, a term that's allowable in certain public spaces right now is, 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 more is a little more than worrying, right? It's terrifying. It's a, it's writing us out of of the public sphere, as, as Jules gill Peterson has said.
1: Yeah. I, 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 to just pick up on where you, you finished there, um, I think so many people of my generation, right? We had this moment where we said we, we didn't know there was a word for us, right? Like there was no language in which to bring us, to speak us into the world. Um, well, so much of what you said, I, I think, shows the expansiveness of transgender studies, that it's it's not about, um, as Susan said, a, a particular group of people, but about a way of thinking. And it's not about the liberation of just one set of people, but you can see how it it speaks to everyone, how it says, you know, in a way transgender studies and transgender people have come to show you how to be free. And there, I think we see a concrete way it links up with with the Black Lives Matter movement, and we can see some of the 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 ways in which the intersectionality of the the reader that you put together could start to work. But I, I'd wonder if you'd just walk us through that because it seems like a great moment. Like if you could give us a case of how, it's important to look at these other disciplines that you've included in the reader, because without them, we couldn't understand how transgender studies works. Um, Because I think what you've you've just shown us is how transgender studies and transness speaks to these other domains that we might not think of when we hear the word transgender or think about
3: that as a field of study.
2: Um, Sure, I mean I can
3: take a take a stab at that. And and but before I do, maybe just to circle back for one second, you know, that you know, that phrase that I use a lot is that what trans people show is that we can change the meaning of our embodiment. And I sometimes hear people who haven't sort of encountered some of these ideas before go like, Huh, like you know what what? You know, but like I think about it like you know, think about feminism being something like, you know, in a moment when women are subordinated to men and where you know reproductive capacity is controlled controlled through marriage or saying that like you know people who are are you know you know have a, a female reproductive capacity um are are legally subordinated to men they're not considered to be uh, uh, you know like citizens or they can't vote or whatever that that feminism didn't like didn't like change yeah, you know, female embodiment, but it changed what female embodiment meant. Right? It's like it's like, oh, you can have a body like this and be a citizen and vote and you don't have to be a baby making machine and and you know, like the, that that you 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 change through through the articulation of a belief and like your worthiness as a person and your entitlement to like full personhood. That you change society it's like you build a different community you know through the political project of advancing women's rights it's like i see that as a trans practice it is a moving across uh, this socially given boundaries that are put around our bodies it's like you move across those boundaries you are transing transiting that boundary and that it's like, I don't want to think of transness as something that's just a property of transgender people, because I think when you think about it that way, it's like the audience that you're speaking to often, goes like, oh, you're just like breaking my mind somehow. It's like, how can a man be a woman or a woman be a man? Because you've got this biology, not that biology. Ah. you know? And that to not think of it that way, but to think of moving across the socially given boundaries that are put on the 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 meanings of our biological bodies it's like that is the practice of transing i think feminism is a practice of transing the 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 social limitations put on womanhood or you could think of black liberation struggles as saying like i know what the melanin content of my skin is i know where my ancestry came from you know just like i i know all of that. i'm not arguing with you about that i'm just saying that doesn't mean i'm property yeah, and so that, that is a trans movement to move across the boundary that limits you based on the the inherited meanings assigned to your bio, biological body. So I think something that brings together the idea of transness, like how can you look at transgender people and the work that we have done uh, and expand that as a kind of a you know, as as, as uh, Dylan was saying, as, as kind of a, a heuristic or a method or an analysis for thinking about those practices more generally. It's like, I think that is, for me, the deepest political significance of trans studies. Um, so to just look at, at one section in the reader, section two, uh, we called it Trans Matters, Black Matters. And just to to give you the the sense of how we curated uh, a set of articles to think about things. So, um, well, maybe what I should say is that we the, the way the whole reader is organized is in uh, 10 sections of five articles each where each of the five articles are thematically grouped and that there's this one section bringing together trans studies with uh, critical race theory and studies of blackness and anti-blackness. like that's one section. Um, I've been talking a lot. Uh, Dylan, do you want to like maybe like walk through kind of the the through line for those five five articles in that section?
2: Yeah, and I also just kind of wanted to add too, when you're thinking about transing. Um, you know, I was recently, and this this does pertain to these kind of sections and how, you know, one of the things you have to do in a reader like this is still kind of offer an order and and sectioning right, Off, <laughs> while still recognizing that the project is about remixing and connecting and drawing different kinds of lines of connection across these different kinds of areas of scholarship or um, arguments and that sort of thing. But I was recently at this uh, at this conference and there was a um, Two scholars, M. Murphy and Mel Chen, who were, who were discussing kind of queer and trans ecologies. And I, I promise this gets us back to the to the reader. Um, but you know, they were kind of thinking about out, you know, having a conversation about how life forms are kind of linked across scale and location. And they 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 noted that they often go back to this kind of question of what is in what, um, and the Cartesian kind of geographies, that notion of like in and within is premised upon, you know, sort of like hormones and organs and genes are in distinct individual bodies or race or sex or species or characteristics that are housed in the body. And this goes back to that kind of like biologistic or um, biocentrism, right? Um, And then another scholar, Abe Weil, kind of built on that. And he he kind of uh, discussed how, you know, those who are not kind of legible through, those, the binary terms of race and gender are often asked a slightly different question than what is in what? And that question is, what are you right? Like boy or girl, black or white from here, from elsewhere, that kind of thing. And I, and I think a lot about that in relation to transing and trans studies is just this kind of non-binary thinking more broadly, if that makes sense. Um, and so I think, um, drawing from kind of expanding, like, you know, Susan used the, 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 what, what did feminism do right it did change female embodiment it changed the expansiveness of what a woman can be and do in the world and i think that's a big part of what trans studies is is sort of working to do right it's not just about trans bodies right trans people um but also about like how can we sort of <laughs> change what we can all do remake this entire system this entire hierarchy and this, these sorts of uh, Gender, sex, race, and so forth, binaries. So I think it's a kind of mode of non-binary thinking, which does kind of lead me uh, back to uh, looking at kind of the the way we we laid out the the uh, the reader itself. Um, we kind of followed the same um, fifty chapter kind of structure that the previous volume um, followed, um, and it's ordered into kind of ten sections of five chapters each, just like that the second volume was. Um, and we, you know, thinking about um, kind of piecing this together, I think, you know, I, I'm not going to go through every single section. Maybe Susan can can jump in and help you with that a little bit. But section one, we start with, you know, Sandy Stone's The Empire Strikes Back, a post-transsexual manifesto, which is, uh, you know, a, a foundational early um, uh, piece uh, thinking about um, this kind of separation that. Um, she's trying to make from the kind of limitations of medical uh, trans the the the, uh, the kind of limitations of trans the transsexual as as it's defined through the kind of medical non-trans sphere right um, expanding beyond that thinking about transness as a genre as a as a as a mode of uh sort of uh, expanding the possibilities of what a, what a transsexual can be what we how we can change the meaning of our bodies. Um
3: I that yeah, maybe just we, to jump in very quickly there, it's like the thing I love about that post transsexual manifesto is that Sandy is somebody who is, you know, twenty twenty, twenty five years older than than me. Uh and that and that, you know, she, you know, I think of her as like one of my elders. And that, you know, she was somebody who came up through the you know, the gender identity clinics back in the nineteen sixties and seventies. And, you know, she just says like back in the day it's like for people who felt the need to present themselves differently to other people as a way of expressing their own sense of of gender, it's like she's like you were programmed to disappear. You kind of like had to pass as cisgender. You weren't supposed to talk about being trans. It's like it was this highly regulated uh, system is like something that we're mo- moving back towards in the present moment, and that you know she says it's hard. It's hard to articulate a counter discourse when you're programmed to disappear. That, like there wasn't like any particular place to speak from as trans. It's just like it was considered to like not exist, uh, and that what she did is basically to say like, well you know we we can speak as trans people and we do have things to say and when we do that it you know it just elaborates this like new world of possibilities and that and so it is very much like i i think of her piece as like a prison break and like that that was the moments that you know for people who were in academe who were thinking about these things it's like that was basically the the piece that opened the floodgates and i think let the fields come out so dylan passing the mic back to you
2: (laughs) yeah no and i mean i think you know with that second piece we 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 include this uh deeply anti-trans kind of the the early uh the earliest version of trans exclusionary radical feminism and janice Raymond's uh, an excerpt from Janice Raymond's uh, The Transsexual Empire and I and I think there could be a critique of including that but it's as a textbook right um, it's difficult to put into context Sandy Stone's the empire strikes back without understanding the empire she's speaking about right Um, and so some of the some of the pieces that we include in here kind of form the form the uh basis you know from which people are responding like how what are they responding to what kinds of uh conversations were happening at this moment um and how how are we how are we understanding those conversations today so that sort of takes shape throughout that section Mm -hmm. and thinking about you know you know situating these names and people and the kinds of work that they're doing that um we we follow that you know with this section two trans matters black matters, which as Susan as Susan said it's you know it's we start with her her essay um, my words to Victor Frankenstein uh, above the village of Chamonix performing transgender rage, um, which I already spoke a little bit about right, um, but we're thinking about we were thinking about okay how do we um, how Marquise Bay who's the second who has the second essay in that section is really drawing together, right? The transness of blackness, the blackness of transness. And so um, looking at that kind of um, section, we wanted to put straight Susan's uh, kind of foundational essay in conversation with kind of recent black trans studies or trans of studies, uh, trans trans of color critique um, to kind of really think about expulsion from the community of humans, right? Um, And broadly speaking, how we could kind of have that conversation across field formation um, and think about, think about um, the, what transness and trans studies might offer to conversations about that expulsion um, and in kind of of ways that we might Emerge or spill forth from that kind of ontological void, if that makes sense. Um, And that is that is uh, one of the project of 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 black studies as well, right? And so drawing those connections um, and and bringing that out into the into this kind of remixed version of like how do we how do we really think about um, how do we really think about um, you know uh, you know an essay as foundational. Uh, to black feminist thought as Hortense Spiller, Hortense Spiller's mama's baby, papa's maybe in connection um, with, with Striker's foundational trans studies work. And it's not to sort of flatten, right. Or reduce the kind of experiential and embodied difference that, uh, that is very present, but rather to kind of build these, I think I look at them as like little suspension bridges. Like how do we think about trans as this is a, as a, as a as a framework as a analytic to build these little suspension bridges like that enable connection across but also like bend and flex to maintain stability you know what i mean like to not flatten but to to connect and bend and move and shift as scholarship and different modes of embodiment emerge so
3: yeah yeah and so yeah so yeah, yeah totally totally second all of those emotions um and just to you know to chime in with my perspective on it so like so yeah like that first section that we start with sandy's piece you know it's called trans slash feminisms and it really is about the way that trans issues engage with feminist scholarship and some feminist scholarship is trans hostile and others is trans affirming and you know how do you how do you like think trans issues in a feminist fashion uh and then this Second one, the trans matters, black matters. It's like it's trying to bring trans issues into dialogue with critical black studies, and and the um, you know as you were mentioning there, it's like one of the things in my piece, which is you know uses the idea of the Frankenstein monster as a way of emblematizing the embodied location of trans people as p- people who have surgically altered bodies, you know, often. I was writing specifically as a transsexual and the ways that the mode of your embodiment puts you in the position of being considered less than human. And I ima- and then, but, but yet it's like, it's a space that you can speak from and live from and have a completely viable life from, even if other people think that it's monstrous somehow. And so I was imagining what I was doing was I was answering Sandy Stone's call. You know, it's like she calls and post-transsexual manifesto for, you know, people to speak as trans. And I was going to like, okay, here's, you know, I'm going to do that. And I did it. But then some of the, the ideas that were articulated in my piece, it's like it really was not so much about the relationship to feminism, which is where I understood some of where Sandy was coming from, But that it was a question about what constitutes the human itself and what's the relationship of the human to questions of technology and like what does it feel like to be cast outside of human community and yet you know you can from that place of abjection actually live and you can like bring a critique to the existing social order that has cast you out of it And so much of that resonated with things that I had read in uh, Black feminisms, and so like we were pointing, what we were grouping my piece with was those places in the Black feminist tradition that address some very similar issues. And and as as uh, Dylan was just saying, one of the metaphors that I used in that piece was about how. You know, like we all come from the same cosmic mother. If you want to think about it that way, it's like the universe is like spit us out into all of our particular forms, and that that it's just like there is no intrinsic reason, like why some forms of life are better than than others, and that you know that that we all we all emerge from the same animating darkness, and 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 so to to, com- to compare that way of thinking in trans studies with how it's emerged in black feminism it's like that seemed a, a really powerful move for bringing together two disparate bodies of knowledge and one of the pieces that we w- wind up including in that section is actually from a a theoretical particle physicist who like is writing about uh, like actually using quantum field theory to say, well, this idea of a universe that is somehow lively uh, that just like is constantly arranging and rearranging itself, dancing back and forth across the actual and the virtual materializing itself and all of these different ways. It's like that, that these seemingly poetic ways of thinking about life emerging from a darkness um uh, it's like it totally lines up with the best that you know contemporary Western science has to say about what is the ultimate nature of the material reality that we live in. So you know that that's just sort of an example of the way we're trying to thread through a related set of of articles some insight that is central to the practice of trans studies. Um, and then you know the other sections in. In the uh, the reader, it's like there's one section on coloniality and the relationship of gender concepts to practices of colonization. There's a section on relationship of trans studies and queer studies. Uh, there's a section on relationship of trans studies to histories of sexology and psychiatry and and um, you know forensics. Um, you know, anyway, so like, yeah yeah you know w- w- ways that um, uh, trans issues bring into sharp focus ideas about bodily regulation, surveillance, as you were just saying. Um, uh, another section looks at questions of history and how notions of gender have changed over time and have, in some some circumstances been like wildly different than what we assume today in the present to be just completely natural and biological and given. It's just like, no, actually that's a historically contingent social arrangement. And you can just show that it's like gender was different in the past than it is now. So it's got each, each section tackles a different, a different problematic. <laughs>
1: yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm so glad that we, in, in taking that arc, um, hit on your essay, Susan, because I just love that essay. Um, and so I'm just gonna take thirty seconds to thank you publicly for it. Um, and also, I think one of the things that that yeah, it, it, it's beautiful. it's it's so smart, and you know, it it's about transgender rage, and you experience that and but it's also so tender um, and beautiful. And you know in a piece that's about what it means to be human um, and who can be human um just the sense of of a tender humanity at the center of it um in the birth scene is just amazing and so so thank
3: you for that piece um oh, thank you for the the kind words I mean I've just been um it was a place that I wrote wrote that from the heart and uh gosh it's, it's Coming up on thirty years old next year, and you know, it's just I'm I'm so honored that people still find some some value in that piece. But you know, I want to give the shout out to the up and coming generation. You know that that um, you know, you know, it's been a, a great honor in my working life to work with a younger generation of scholars like Dylan and you know some of some of his cohort. Because, uh, you know, basically, I just think, like, the kids are all right. They got it going on. It's like they are carrying the banner forward. And, you know, mostly what I try to do these days is just step back and get out of the way and and um, cheer people on from the sidelines as they, you know, continue the political and intellectual work that is necessary in the historical period we are living through. Well. I am mindful of the time. So maybe as
1: as a last question, um, all, I think all three of us teach students who are having their first year of college in 2023. And uh, Dylan, he was talking about being an undergraduate and starting in 2001. Um, and so, you know, with it, it comes out clear in the reader that speculation is a part of, of transgender studies. So as you speculate about what a transgender reader might contain in whatever version you know it looks uh a decade from now what do you speculate might be in that what what might that future start to look like
2: goodness um yes yeah, speculate about 10 years from now what a reader might look like i think um gosh what I think this this text does, what each of these volumes has done has been just so dramatically different. Um, and looking at this as a real, a textbook has a really a starting place, another starting place. The first two volumes offered their own starting places, right? Um, from which to build and um, shape the field. I think this one, hopefully kind of in pulling in these adjacent uh, these works from adjacent fields and bodies of thought, hopefully, kind of, I don't know, creates a little different kind of web, and I think increasingly, um, those kinds of webs uh, are going to be absolutely critical to our material survival. Right at this at this end of this age, we call the Anthropocene or whatever. Right, so. Uh, and as as trans people are increasingly targeted um, politically, socially so I would think that in 10 years we're going to be I, I think it's going to be uh, not just a kind of uh, flattening of fields but I do think there's going to have to necessarily be um, some of the emergent trends of color scholarship um, and uh, connecting really deeply uh, for our survival in ways that I don't think um, have happened on a broad scale. And I think trans studies is going to play a big role in that. So I think a reader might, uh, take shape. Uh, maybe it won't be a, you know, uh, transgender studies reader. It'll be some, some other title. You know, I literally, I think it will be more about, um, drawing these connections across fields because I think so much more of our work is, is, is going to have to necessarily respond to these, Cross currents, uh, uh, political cross currents um, that are emerging right now. I think between uh, access to healthcare and abortion access, right? Like access to trans affirming healthcare, gender affirming healthcare, and abortion access. That's going to be, you know, I think that's a really important conversation that's uh, that's that's emerging right now. So I think there will be more of that sort of tied into some future reader, something, something like that, you know, but it's hard to say. It's, um, what I'm doing, what scholars of who are coming up now are doing is is really, it's in motion. So it's a little difficult to say what it'll look like. I don't know that, Susan, if you could say in, tw- in 2012, 2013, when you and Aaron were developing that second volume, what this would have looked like, you know, 10 years later. I don't know.
3: No, I, I couldn't have said and you know, for me thinking about the future, you know, I just say it's like we just need to be like committing more thought crimes in Florida because uh that, that's the the um, this is necessary knowledge for understanding the way power operates and what's at stake. And and I it seems wild to suggest that like expressing your thoughts in an academic environment as part of, you know, scholarly engagement with issues uh, is something that could be criminalized, and that that um, the yeah the the, the idea of ha- having the ability to write something or think something or say something or teach something could be taken away from you. It just makes you realize that yeah. But I think before we can think about what you know the the, the next iteration of whatever you know project comes out of trans studies a decade from now, it's like it really needs to to acknowledge the fact that the political crisis that we're in right now has to be dealt with first and that you know we have to have the ability to live. We have to have the ability to occupy public space. We have to have the ability for our lives to not be criminalized and that any version of trans studies that imagines... That those sorts of things are not the the uh, primary. It's like they're the they're the foundation that you have to build from. And if you are not paying attention to the material circumstances of our lives, then any trans studies that doesn't do that isn't you know worth the paper it's written on.
1: Yeah, the necessary work is to make sure that there will be the possibility of another reader in ten years. That is correct. Yeah, that is yeah. correct. And if that turns out to be the case, and it should, and we will work to see that it does, I hope that Dylan and one of Dylan's students now will come back on and talk to us about it.
3: I hope so, too. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, Eric. Susan Stryker, Dylan
1: McCarthy Blackstone, thank you very much for being on the New Books Network. You're very
3: welcome.